This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. It has been said that there are three methods by which we learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is the noblest. Second, by imitation, which is the easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. Well, Marcus and I uh, wanted to use today's show to take on the first one, reflection, just to take some time to reflect on some of the conversations that we've had over the course of the show up to this point. So stay with us, and we'll be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. So happy to be here with you all again, to have you all in the audience, and glad once again to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, how is it going? Going well. Looking forward to today's conversation. I tend to always learn quite a bit from them. So. Yeah, I'm telling you, I do. And you and I have been talking for a while about, you know, we've had so many conversations up to this point. I think, you know, I, you and I both were surprised by the fact that we've done up to 33 shows. Yeah, hard um, to believe. It is. Yeah. And Marcus, I am out in the community a lot. You know, I do presentations and I have been, I think, just really uh, encouraged by the fact that I meet so many people out there who are telling me that they are listening to the show. Mm. If they don't catch it on the radio, sometimes they do uh, catch it in the podcast, and that is great. And, you know, I had one of our colleagues at the university say to me one day, so, you know, I was driving in my car and I was listening to the radios, listening to BPR, and all of a sudden this voice came on and said, I know who that is. He said, I know that voice. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had similar experiences. And, I, you know, I think one of the things that accounts for the kind of feedback we're getting is that uh, is the mere fact that the platform of conversation um, is relatable. It is. Right? You know, people are able to find ways to connect um, to conversations, even if they may not have much familiarity with the with the um, subject matter of, right. of a particular show. The, the medium itself is is, is relatable. It is. So I, it I, is. I, yeah. And I think yeah. that people have found, I think that what I've enjoyed about this too, Marcus, is not work, not only working with you because we have such mm. a, a collaborative uh, spirit and, and, you know, such the teamwork, which has always been there from the time mm-hmm. that you and I first sat down <laughs> just to have uh, lunch together and That's just talk. True. But you and I, you know, we talked about the fact that what we do for a living is very reflective. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I've come to enjoy it. I like those quiet yeah. moments where I can sit down. You know, I sit down with books and, you know, books, you yeah. know, books don't scream at you. You know, you may scream <laughs> at the books and, you know, argue with what authors are, are actually saying in those books. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have that quiet. You can sit there, good cup of coffee or whatever, yeah. and just be reflective. And I think yeah. that that's something that we kind of need to learn to do sometimes, yeah, don't you think? I think so. And, and by the way, if books are screaming at, you, sc- screaming at you, you probably need to go see somebody. Okay. <laughs> But um, <laughs> just just saying. But no, I, I think it's important to just to just say that reflection really is a discipline. Mm-hmm. It's a discipline, um, and unfortunately, re- reflection isn't something that is always encouraged or uh, encouraged, valued, or celebrated in in our society. Uh, but I think the discipline of reflection really involves. Um, a process of examination, right? Well, what are we examining? Well, um, one can be self-reflexive, right? Mm-hmm. One examines oneself, um, one's place in one's community, one pla- one's place in one's society. Um, and one can also examine the sort of broader world around mm-hmm. him or her. Uh, so, so the discipline of reflection, the practice of reflection um, invo- is multidimensional. Right. Um, and um, 
And I think that this discipline is absolutely essential for the cultivation of healthy persons, mm-hmm. healthy bodies, healthy communities, and healthy societies. You're, you're yeah. absolutely right, Marcus. And I think about um, one of the qualities that is needed, as you pointed out, is patience. You know, mm-hmm. having uh, patience and, you know, sometimes silence is necessary. I think about uh, – you, you and I creating this show in and of mm-hmm. itself. You know, we live in a world where we're, we are allowed to be uh, reflective. You know, we, uh, we have to study in order to impart uh, what knowledge that we have to our students. So it requires us to sit down and to kind of contemplate things. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that you and I talked about early on with regard to creating this show was finding a new way to kind of um, to get that the ideas and the things that we are doing in our own individual research and that we see to get it out to the public in a very different way. I've often heard that people often do wonder what is it that we do at the university, right? Uh, (laughs) I was rereading this article that uh, Dr. John Hope Franklin and you all in the audience, you've heard us mention his name many, many times. Uh, His work, he wrote an essay back in 1979 that he talked about the loneliness of the, of the black intellectual, but he, he starts it out by, talking about the kind of the loneliness of the intellectual in general because Mm -hmm. American society is not really given to paying that much attention to what intellectuals have Mm -hmm. to say or what intellectuals do. Um, They'll use them from time to time, but we want to move on. This is our capitalist culture, you know, so we want to move on to the next thing. So we talked about, look, the Watterson Harvey Show is a way to talk to people in a different way. Yeah, and I think also what makes this show particularly important is that, you know, when you consider the history of the so-called, you know, modern university, uh, which begins to emerge uh, around the 19th century, well after the Middle Ages, you know, where we first begin to sort of see uh, universities emerging. Uh, what begins to happen is not only the sort of hyper-specialization of disciplines, right? So like disciplines like history, mm-hmm. anthropology, etc. cetera. Uh, but we also begin to see um, uh, knowledge becoming regarded as a sort of privileged um, a privileged sort of thing mm-hmm. and not not everyone was worthy is worthy of having access to right. especially the the forms of specialized knowledge that scholars like you and I mm-hmm. acquire and so i think that what that one of this one, one of the important functions of this show um, involves sort of translating our specialized knowledge as scholars mm-hmm. for a much broader audience in a way i think that 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 i think sort of challenges right the the, the sort of history of how knowledge has been produced um, within the sort of the, the so-called modern university. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. absolutely right. And so, Marcus, so that, that brings us to thinking about the show and some of the conversations that we've had. Mm-hmm. Because I have found that doing the show is challenging, is intellectually challenge, challenging. Mm-hmm. I mean, as were my first conversations with you when you and I got to know each other because you're coming from a different field. Mm-hmm. You you study, you know, African indigenous religious yeah. traditions, cultural uh, traditions and things like that, which I've always told you that I'm impressed that yeah. you do this. And, and also, I'll say quickly that, that one of those one of the things that those early conversations taught me is how little I know about uh, American history. So, go ahead. Well, you, as our audience, I'm sure that many of you in the audience will agree he's come up to speed real fast, which is kind of scary because it took me how many years to get this degree, and then I watch you kind of master no, this. Kind of, no, no. <laughs> well, you know, but thinking about you know the conversations that we had, so it was mm. it was challenging for me. I had to kind of stretch myself to have mm. those conversations with you. So you've had major influences on me but we decided 
to have guests in and to talk with people, mm-hmm. um, not only uh, people who are leading scholars in their field like David Blight, which is really one of the one of those powerful conversations that we had. And I tell you, I really enjoyed that conversation. And for you all in the audience who have talked to us about uh, that conversation with David and how good it was, you just have to know that when he came here in the studio, he didn't feel like he had enough time. He right. wanted to keep going, didn't he? Which I thought was great. But we, we didn't want to wear him out. But, you know, the conversations with people like David, conversations with uh, with uh, Steve Nash, um, mm-hmm. Gordon McKinney, Kimberly Floyd, uh, all of these people that we've we've engaged, uh, Oliver Glow, talking mm-hmm. about France and Absolutely. looking at uh, historical memory from the perspective of fa- France, have really stretched me intellectually because you mm-hmm. have to be prepared when you Absolutely. come in here. Right? Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think you know, you know, thinking about the shows that you just listed, um, one of the things that those shows uh, have challenged challenged me to do is to think about is to realize or involves realizing how important conversation is to this problem of memory mm-hmm. right um I, I think that the more we t- discuss memory the more the more we converse about it the more we engage um one another around issues of memory be it um be it american historical memory be it um france's historical or national memory um the more critical relationship we develop toward memory mm-hmm. um, and and the sort of less um, dominance um, sort of uh, more sort of popular uh, forms of memory have on us mm-hmm. because because um, the sort of mystique that can accrue um, to certain forms of popular memory or certain forms of, um, of sort of um, dominant uh, historical narratives that sort of mystique um, slowly you know begins to sort of lose its prestige (laughs) the more we converse in a critical way Mm -hmm. about these dominant um, historical narratives. Where it seems like we, you know, we, can, we can participate in this effort to undermine the noble lie. As, <laughs> as uh, Plato once said, right. you know, every society has to have its noble lie upon mm. uh, around which its myths are mm. are developed. But sometimes we need to we need to kind of you know as as some people would say, just kind of keep it real and get mm. to the real the real meat of things and 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 peel back all the mythology that yep. develops uh, on. On, on a number of occasions. Well, one of the conversations that Marcus and I had here, which was uh, really interest, interesting, and um, Marcus, you'll have to tell the audience what you said to me when we had this particular guest on, <laughs> um, but it was a rich conversation it was. In, the, yeah. uh, in the sense that we ended up having to have two conversations mm-hmm. with uh, Mr. Johnny Davis, and many of you will remember Johnny. Johnny is a former NBA basketball star, you know, drafted in the late 1970s to the Portland Trail Blazers, you know, has that unique experience of having won a national championship in his rookie year. But he spent 38 years in the NBA as a player and then as a coach. And interestingly enough, he and his wife retire and and decide to retire to Asheville. So we've been able to have uh, the, the the unique and very rewarding experience to get to know Johnny. And so we brought mm-hmm. him in to talk about the realities of a career in sports. And, brother, it turned into an interesting conversation. <laughs> it and I think and, and I, I won't go all the way there yet. But what I will say <laughs> is that I think I think one of the important takeaways from the con- both conversations with Johnny um, was that uh, you know this this narrative that the only path for African American 
the, the only path available mm-hmm. to young African-American boys for um, material success, uh, for economic security, um, is professional sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the, that the candor, the honesty um, with which um, Johnny talked about uh, the, the, the fairly harsh truths <laughs> right. of a professional career in sports and the statistics around that were very sobering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think also also uh, the way he talked about um, the, the, the sort of realities of pursuing a professional career in, in sports, uh, sort of perhaps in an indirect way, uh, prompts, um, prompts people to think about Okay, what does success mean? Mm-hmm. Why is it? Right. Why is it that the sort of vision or model or picture of success um, often peddled to young African American boys involves entertainment mm-hmm. or professional sports right. or, or or something like that? What accounts for that for that peddling? Um, what what does such peddling assume mm-hmm. about the aptitudes, the potentials of yes. young African American boys? And so I think you know that. That conversation uh, just had so many different layers of richness that um, that we probably could continue to unpack right. um, if we had the time we, yeah, to do it. We, on yeah, the show. I want to. I want, you know, I want to to, yeah, to go yeah. back to a few of those things that John, that Johnny brought up. But you, I see that you gave me a pass because, and I will say this: <laughs> that um, after that show, um, Marcus said to me, he said, "You know, uh, brother, I saw you scrambling there a little bit because <laughs> I I come in, you know, have the outline, the show is planned the way we want it to." Go, but Johnny kind of had his own agenda when he oh, came here, true. right? Which was a good agenda. Johnny, Johnny came out of the box swinging, <laughs> so you know he jumped right into this issue mm-hmm. of you know uh, the unrealistic nature of this pursuit, you know, mm-hmm. this pursuit of career of a career in sports and entertainment, and how you know, yeah, we need to kind of hold up these other opportunities and these other possibilities as um, as things that should be celebrated in the community, like mm-hmm. business. Business leader, people who can, you know, work hard to, you know, come through high school, go to college, get a degree in business, and then get out there to do the hard work to create something uh, in in the business world, um, not just in sports. He talked about the need for for teachers, you know, to hold teachers up as as good examples of of a career that you can that is worthy of pursuit um, and imparting knowledge to another generation. He talked about what we do for a living, mm-hmm. and, and in private conversations that we have with Johnny all the time, he said, you know, people don't need to see him. And I and I appreciate that about Johnny. He's like, they don't need to see me as the person that, you know, they're trying to be. He said, they need to look at guys like yourself, you know, uh, and say, no, this is something that, you know, I can find worthwhile to pursue as a career and then do the hard work to do that. Yeah, And, and again, I mean, I, I think one of the one of the conversations that Johnny's remarks uh, opened up um, had to do with, again, as I said before, uh inviting listeners to redefine or at least rethink what success means Mm -hmm. um, and also to identify that so much of what we often think about when we consider success is deeply tied to capitalist values. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think the question to ask is, um, do we want to remain wedded to that model of success or do we want to imagine right. other models of success? Right. Uh, they kind of liberate us from this sort of state of being tethered 
um, to to capitalist values um, because I, I think that's a very sort of narrow way it is. to construe success, especially given the history of African Americans in this country. <laughs> um, right. You know, which is a history, um, to be quite frankly, which you know, which is a, a very very much a history of being um, subjugated and dominated right. by by capitalist values run amok. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I, I I think that his that his, that, that his remarks really are. Um, um, uh, somewhat uh, subversive in that right. way. Mm-hmm. And you know, Marcus, I've gotten a lot of comments from our listeners about that particular show. In mm-hmm. fact, it was the, the shows with Johnny. Um, we've had comments from listeners about pretty much all of the shows that we, we've mm-hmm. done. But Johnny's show even prompted one listener who I know very well, um, who we had a relationship with each other for a while. Um, he's former broadcaster himself. That It prompted him to send me an email and said, we have to have lunch. <laughs> and when we went to lunch, it was he wanted to discuss that conversation with Johnny. He mm-hmm. said, you know, there are many questions that it raised mm-hmm. because he not only talked about this issue of a reality of, uh, of a life in, you know, at, in sports, and and how unrealistic the the pursuit of that can be for so you know a large number of African American boys. But he also talked about because Johnny has this background in uh, community development mm-hmm. when he went to University of Ohio in Dayton, mm-hmm. right? And he his his background is in community development. So he's here. He sees this community, and and he talked a lot about opportunity that exists here in Asheville, but he also talked about the need to care for our communities and the, the need that once once you are successful in your career goals and your career path, that there is a need to reach back and to support those communities. And we don't always do that because you remember the conversation we had with Keenan Lake mm-hmm. was another conversation with Keenan through his program. My daddy taught me that when we asked him the question about what does he need, you know, mm-hmm. what does he need for this program? And he said, I need bodies. He said, I need people who are willing to come and willing to stand alongside me and these boys um, mm. that I have in this program. And it just seems that in our fast-paced society, we, we've gotten to a place that we don't do that that much anymore. We used to, but we don't do it as much anymore. And Johnny talked about that as well. He did. And, I mean, I think that the work that he did at the University of Dayton um, in the area of community engagement, uh, it, it, it does, I think, speak to the importance of, of, of having a commitment, even early in one's career, because you know, at this point, you you know, he's, he's fairly early in his career. Uh, but the importance of having a commitment to giving back um, mm-hmm. to one's community. And again, I've said this before, uh, but I, I think that one of the one of the principal obstacles, um, one of the principal impediments uh, that end up preventing or uh, or perhaps uh, encouraging folks not to give back um, involves a sort of this doctrine or to use Oliver Globe's term, this doxa (laughs) of American individualism Mm -hmm. that, you know, the, 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 the American dream involves an individual struggling, striving, Mm -hmm. um, individually, uh, to attain a certain goal, right? Um, in most cases, you know, an economic goal. Yes. Uh, and then, then once one attains that goal, uh, you know, what, Based upon you know what one sees in the mass media, movies, television, social media, etc., um, what one then can do is sort of uh, uh, conspicuously consume, <laughs> right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, put one's accomplishments on display. That is very much indicative, I think, of of contemporary uh, American uh, attitudes and culture around 
the notion of success. And so I think that's a major obstacle right. um, um, facing uh, the sort of challenge of, of African Ameri- more African Americans who attain success, giving back. Um, also, what I would say is that, you know, unfortunately in our community, in large part because of um, uh, the history of slavery um, and the history of subjugation after the Civil War, um, w- as it relates to wealth, we don't really have a long history of transmitting wealth across generations right. in ways that that serve the project of building our communities. Mm-hmm. And I think that needs to be a part of a part of future conversations about what African American about what success can can mean or means within an African-American context um, and conversations about community and, building. And yeah. You're right. Yeah. And it's interesting, Marcus, as I'm listening to you. You know, uh, in those comments, I'm thinking and, you know, wanting to even speak again to our directly to our listeners here to Mm -hmm. encourage them to go back and listen to those shows with Johnny, those two shows, because you can get them on um, our podcast, uh, which is available. And you'll see how broad this conversation was, how broad. But but at the same time, it was extremely deep as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Johnny talked about the need to broaden our perspectives. Right. Um, You've raised issues once again. And I know that our, our listeners know we we mention this book all the time, but democracy in America is all the things that Alexis Tocqueville in the 1830s, he was addressing these issues, this uh, this very strong sense of individualism that existed mm. in American culture. And what did that mean for a sense of community? And so Johnny, Johnny did say he did talk about the need to broaden our mm. perspectives, you know, coming from his home where he grew up in Detroit. He said when he went to college, you know, how that broadened his perspective. And remember, we did ask him in that conversation about, well, you know, Johnny, for those, for, for younger kids who don't have that opportunity to leave their mm-hmm. community, is there a way that we can find imaginative and creative ways to broaden their perspective now? And his response to that was, what education, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, learning to love, to read, finding new ways to to engage um, uh, a younger generation um, with uh, the importance of education. Yeah, and I think I think along with that, one of the one of the points that Johnny's remarks uh, signaled was, you know, what or, or the question I should put it as a question. Uh, you know, what are there institutions within the African American community that do not always that are not always conducive to the broadening of perspective mm-hmm. uh, through education, through you know, um, ec- through cross cultural exposure, intercultural exposure, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you know one of the one of the possibilities that we have to confront is that you know the most cherished institution within the African American community, namely the church, mm-hmm. um, may be culpable um, with respect to you know the, the African American community as a collective, um, with respect to this community's sort of relative inability right. or failure um, to to educate itself more broadly, um, to reimagine itself in ways that are not defined by the biblical imagination Mm -hmm. um, in ways that are not defined by the history of American Protestantism or black Christianity. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, if a a careful examination of African-American social history and and also I would say African-American political thought, to be quite frank with you, um, reveals that much of the African-American imagination on a number of levels, including the cultural level, 
um, has been sort of thoroughly circumscribed by biblical ideas, mm-hmm. by Judeo-Christian ideas. So I think that if we're going to have a serious conversation about um, developing broader perspectives within our community and being and educating ourselves, or, or, or to use Carter G. Wilson's term, re-educating ourselves um, in a more expansive way, then we have to, 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 to not shrink away from critiquing, right. um, you know, uh, the, the black community's most cherished institution. Yeah, and Johnny did talk about that. He um, he raised that issue a lot. Um, and you can go back and listen to mm-hmm. it in that in that conversation because you raised a point in that conversation with Johnny about transmitting knowledge mm-hmm. to to another generation. And what institutions can we look to for um, can we count? can we count on to transmit that knowledge mm. and johnny was um was not so not so convinced that the institution of a church was a church, mm. was the institution through which that can happen primarily because um of what you just said there's a there is a lack of a willingness to be critical mm. and johnny was pointing back to history in many ways saying that we need but these have not been conversations that we've been comfortable having mm-hmm. within within the African American community itself, which I think we should. We, you have to, Marcus, as scholars, you know, you 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 have to put yourself in that uncomfortable space mm-hmm. to have those hard conversations about okay, how was this tradition given to us? You mm-hmm. know, and Johnny raised that point, and what can we learn from the process of how it was kind of it it was implemented upon our given to a particular community. Yeah. And those, those are important yeah. questions, I think, to raise, yeah. right? And, 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 and I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, what, as, as, as an Afri- African-American community, what are we really committed to? Right. I mean, you know, what, what are our values really grounded in? And, you know, I, Ian, I, I think about the example of Carter G. Woodson, right? I mean, this is somebody, he found, founder of the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a man who for 34 years, from uh, up until his death in 1950, served as the editor of the Journal of Negro History. Right. Um, this is a person who, as we said in previous shows, sort of single-handed, well, more or less single-handedly, um, sort of carved out the discipline of African-American history. Mm-hmm. And I would argue in large part out of a commitment to uh, sort of creating a trajectory um, through which African-Americans could fundamentally reimagine themselves as a community yes. through, through a historical lens. Yeah. And so I think, that, I think that the sort of example of Carter G. Woodson continues to haunt the African-American community with the question of what are you really committed to? That's right. And, right. and, and, and again, I think, you know, if we, if we as a community are going to have a serious conversation about that question, then, you know, we, we might find ourselves surprised and somewhat dismayed to discover uh, what we what we're Ooh, really committed to. Right. Yeah. You know, and Marcus, man, you know, you you bring that point up and it reminds me of the conversation with Dr. Trey Atcock. No, remember, and one of the big things that emerged from that conversation was the issue of what is sacred, and I think that we're going to have to come back to that because we've Absolutely. come down to the end of this show. This has gone really yeah. fast. I've enjoyed just having this reflection conversation yeah. with you, and you see how Johnny's, you know, that show really still resonates with me, mm-hmm. and it's something that I think that we should we should come back to again. But Marcus and I really want to take the time to do more of these shows where yeah. we reflect upon these conversations 
conversations that we've had with some of our guests. And so we thank you for joining us here today and for listening to this conversation. We hope that it prompts you to go listen to the podcast with Johnny Davis, Mr. Johnny Davis, two podcasts that we did with him, two shows we did with him, Mm -hmm. both available on the podcast. And Marcus and I would like to take the time now as we kind of close this show Mm -hmm. just to remind you all again that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, and on iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Facebook and and, and Twitter. And it is a pleasure to to run into you all and just talk with you from time to time. Take care. Take care.